Welcome to the Women in Fire radio show. Today's topic will be on the new company officer. I'm Lisa Baker, the Southwest trustee for Women in Fire. Today I have an excellent group, panel group. I have the fire chief of Forest Park, Georgia, Chief Latasha Clemens. I have Lieutenant Heidi Simon, who works for South Metro, who's been in the fire service for 25 years. I have Laura Lyons, who is a lieutenant in Des Moines, Iowa, who's been a lieutenant almost a year now. And Nicole McCall, who works for Oakland, California Fire Department, who's been in nine years and has been a lieutenant for two years. So we're going to be talking about the new company officer. So we often hear a member gets promoted. And to be promoted a company officer, you put in a lot of hard work. You studied long and hard to make sure that you knew the position and that you were qualified and you're ready to compete in the promotional process to be selected. And it worked. Then you hear, congratulations, you are being promoted to company officer. You're given a badge and a red helmet and oftentimes you're set out, set out into the companies. So you, you've taken the classes, you've listened to conferences, you've been to conferences, you've listened to speakers, you've read books. You've listened to people tell you what to do. You've watched people do the job well and probably not so well. But are you truly ready? Transitioning from firefighter to company officer can be a difficult one. The new company officer must change his or her mindset from frontline fire ground responsibilities during an incident to an organizational responsibility, which includes health, education, and safety of his or her firefighters. Some say this transition from firefighter to company officer is the hardest transition in the fire service. While the transition can be one of the most exciting times in our careers, at the same time, it's the most apprehensive. The apprehensive stems from simply being given, like I mentioned, a new red helmet along with a badge and told, go out and lead. So when you first thought of being a company officer, what did you feel you needed to do to be successful with the transition from firefighter to company officer? And anyone could chime in. I'll start. Thank you, Nicole. Lieutenant McCall. I think for me, I always knew I wanted to promote. So being a solid firefighter, getting respect, was kind of something I needed to do early on. Uh, in my department, I've noticed uh, those that have worked hard as a firefighter and came up the ranks and earned the respects down low, or like as you're coming up the ranks, when you promote that respect is still kind of there, as opposed to people that were not working as hard or kind of lazy or, you know, weren't weren't really sought upon to, hey, come work at our firehouse sort of thing. So I did my best to do what I needed to do and earn the respect of people and show that I'm capable and strong enough to do the job so that when I promoted that was kind of one less thing I had to face. And I could kind as, of, oh, go ahead, Nicole. Sorry. No, that, that was it. Okay. And I could kind of piggyback on what Nicole was saying. Um, prior to her working for Oakland, she was um, worked for Cal OES. And she was at a huge drill. We did doing some like volunteer work and such wasn't getting paid and was on top of it. And right then she was on our list and she was asking questions. And right then you knew that she was going to be a go-getter. 
And when you watched her in the academy and such, she was. She wanted the respect of people. She asked questions all day long. Um, and it's paid off for her. And I and I truly do agree with what um, Lieutenant McCall has just said, that you have to earn the people's respect from the bottom up. Yeah, I'll add to that. I, I agree with what Lieutenant said. I mean, really, at the end of the day, I mean, you, why you want to do it, you know? Uh, for me, and I agree with everything she said. I mean, it, it starts when you first walk into Drill Academy. Um, people get an idea of who you are, what you are, what you're like. Um, are you a hard worker? Are you not a hard worker? And it's all those little things that you do and taking those initiatives to do the things that help you set yourself up for success. Exactly. And you just made a really good point. Um, you said it... it um, your reputation is it's set the minute you walk into recruit school, the recruit academy, whatever you want to call it. I mean, especially in the larger departments, when you have companies going down there, um, assisting with the training and such, they're watching you. And they know even before that you walk, get badged or get a, the minute you sworn in as a firefighter, you know, what kind of what your reputation is. And, and if you're really someone that they want to you know work with and such. Um, I think a lot of what you both said is very important. And then a lot of times, like Nicole said, ask questions. So like, if you're asking the questions, you also said it, Laura, if you're asking questions from the day one, I mean, it shows your ambition. It shows you want to learn and someone's going to take you under their wing and help you as opposed to if you're just there and you come and you're like, Hey, here's this drill I have to do today. If you're on probation or, Hey, here's this, what I have to do. So it, it's it's a lot of what you both said. It's the initiative to want to succeed. And it's because you want your department to be better. And it's your reputation. And you want to show people that you're there and you deserve to be there, that you weren't just promoted because of you passed the test, but you earned the position. Chief, Chief Baker, just to add to that as well, both of them had some excellent responses to that question. Um, you know, I can just reflect back to when I was wanting to promote and uh, I've always, always thought, you know, set your expectations up front because what you're doing, you have some officers that you're observing, you know, some are good officers, some are bad officers. I think the light bulb for me clicked on when I experienced bad officers. At that point, I said, you know what? I'm not going to lead like that. So you start to transition in right then and there in the way you're going to lead. Uh, and you have to set, set your expectations up front, you know, uh, stay consistent. Yeah. And that that's funny that you just said that, because I tell people all the time, you could learn from watching officers, both good and bad officers, the bad officers, you know, you don't want to mirror their behavior. And the good officers are the ones you want to ask, how did they get to be so good? Um, and I kind of that's why I became a chief. I was watching some of the chiefs, the battalion chiefs. And saying, you know, just looking and watching. And I'm like, wow, okay. And so that kind of inspired me to want to become a battalion chief. So. Hey, Lisa. Yes, Heidi. I, we've already done a number of shows on preparation, but this is a pretty good opportunity to kind of bridge that um, with what we've talked about in the past. One of the um, chiefs that mentored me early on in my career told me to act like the lieutenant you want to be. So it goes along with, you know, who you're seeing and, and to be able to emulate the things um, 
that that they're doing, but also to start acting like the lieutenant. If you want to start testing um, and and start learning how to be a lieutenant, you need to start presenting yourself as such, uh, because you when you get into that acting role, that's when you're really starting to show who you're going to be. And if you are kind of a goofball as a firefighter, even though maybe well-skilled, um, but you're kind of a goofball, but and then all of a sudden you're the lieutenant and you want all this um, respect, that's not going to transfer over. So uh, if you ever think that you're getting ready to decide to even look at promoting, then you better make sure your game is is on. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one, 100%. I mean, there's, yes, Nicole. And to piggyback on what she said, it's funny because once you promote, you may not get those folks in the department being like, hey, way to go. We're proud of you or we saw this coming. But I've noticed as folks go to take the next lieutenants, how many times my phone rang? You know, and how many people have reached out to me and said, hey, uh, do you mind showing me how to do this on the MDT? Or, hey, can you walk me through how to log on the CAD? You know, so people know and they watch. They may not say anything, but they'll be some of the first ones to kind of reach out to you. To, yeah. to ask for assistance. I, I agree with that. That's happened to me too with this last recent promotion. Like even though I'm a new lieutenant, but those guys reached out. So they ask questions. They, I mean, I think everyone would know who is doing what and how to do things. I mean, I know Nicole, she was at Battalion 4 and there was a chief and an officer there and they didn't really have a, a regular officer for a while. And she actually on probation was doing a lot or trying to do a lot of the officer stuff, asking how to do things and how to do this and how to do that. And it was like amazing that somebody was like doing that as on probation when you had other members there that were kind of just sitting back watching. So everybody, I think that knew Nicole would be promoted soon. So what are the biggest obstacles you faced as a new company officer and what advice would you give a new company officer who faced the same or similar obstacles if you faced any obstacles? I know um, I, I could speak of this when I became a new company officer. We didn't have, and that was like probably 20 years ago, um, we didn't really have any formal training. I mean, after the fact, they kind of started to like train us how to do injury reports and accident reports and stuff. So I think the biggest obstacle was, and we and we just talked about it a minute ago, was prior to becoming a company officer, finding someone that would kind of like show you how to do it, take the time out to show you how to do it and do it correctly. Chief, you said 20 years ago? I think probably. They still don't have anything. I didn't have a probationary binder. Nobody taught me yeah. anything. I was fortunate enough when I worked at that battalion chief house to have a company officer that, that also did fleet. So they were gone for up to eight hours a day. And his expectation was when you're sitting up front and acting while I'm gone, everything will get done. When I come back to the firehouse, I'm going to pick up where you left off. I will not be backtracking or doing journal entries or any paperwork that needed to be done in the morning. So I think one of the, and I, I'm the obstacles I face are just repetitions of fires. I'm downtown now. And it's every time I do something, it's like, Oh, I could have done that a little bit better or, excuse me, I wish I would have known to ask that question for this sort of situation. But I was fortunate enough to pick up all those things working at a battalion house, injury paperwork, RP5s, which is like admin stuff, all the administration stuff I was able to get my hands on early on. 
And I try to teach the new probationaries that now as they come through, you know, hey, this is how you reach dispatch. This is how you read the CAD. In the event that, you know, they need to figure something out, they can at least be like, oh, Lieutenant McCall showed me once how to do that. I know a little bit. And, and Lieutenant, you just made an excellent point. Like a lot of people, and it's, I could speak, we worked at the same department. So it's like when somebody's off probation and the officer's going somewhere, there was a day when someone said, well, you're off probation, go sit in the front seat. And it's like, we're really not doing a service to our organization, to our members, especially not our citizens. We're putting a lot of people in danger just because someone's off probation after 18 months doesn't really know that they know what the rules and responsibilities of officer are. And there were times like when someone would act and they don't want to do the responsibilities. They just want to sit in the front seat. And I've never been able to really figure out why they just wanted to sit in the front seat for four hours. Well, obviously it was the pay, but, and not really do the work. And so um, that's an excellent, uh, what you just talked about, Nicole, is excellent. You had a great opportunity, but you also took the opportunity. You asked for the opportunity. So a lot of times it's asking to do things. And I mean, um, and I'm sure, I mean, I know when I first got promoted, I was uncomfortable because I, I mean, and I not uncomfortable where I was like scared, so to speak, but I felt uncomfortable, like, doing some things like you just said, like going to a fire. It's like, okay, I mean, you go to one fire, but the next fire is different. And you know, everybody's watching you and listening to the radio. As soon as there's a fire in your district, hate to tell you this, but the radio is turning on because, oh, Nicole's there. Oh, Lisa's there. Sally's there. Mary's there. Whoever name you want to use is there. And that radio is going on. And these guys that are listening to it and they're critiquing you, but they probably didn't have the ambition or the courage to even take a test. But all of a sudden, they're rocket scientists and what you should have done. So I think um, I commend any female that actually does promote because the scrutiny that we're going to receive is three times higher, if not higher than what a male is going to receive, especially in some organizations and others. Yes, Lisa, I can concur with what you're saying. Uh, That is absolutely true. Uh, I can reflect back to when I uh, first uh, became promoted to lieutenant. You know, there's always one section of the city that you're, is not your strength when you're trying to read the map. Back in these days, we didn't have Google. We had to read the maps. <laughs> so it's always one section of the city that was a little bit more complex than the other. So what I found myself doing was every time the bell rang, I would go to the CAD, pull out that report, look at that address, and just go to the map book and try to map it out. Every time. Uh, I thought that was very, very interesting. Uh, as of now, you know, we have Google Maps. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, just being concerned about uh, that little uncomfortability about who's listening, always having to overachieve and overperform. You know, really, we shouldn't feel that way because literally some of those same folks that were having that same the anxiety that you had, some of those same folks had the same anxiety. anxiety, anxiety I'm sorry, anxiety. Exactly. Lisa, I think I want to speak to um, some of the development that because we do have some chiefs that listen on our audiences and, um, you know, we're hearing that there's some organizations that don't have prep classes or preparation packets or even, um, you know, probationary type situations when they promote people. And so I'm encouraging those chiefs to, you know, reach out to organizations that do have pre-promotion packets or pre-promotion um 
qualifications. We do a qualifications packet before you can even test for lieutenant or captain or battalion. Um, so it really does set them up for success. Um, they even have to do it before they start acting. So I encourage chiefs to reach out to organizations um, because what we're going to share our stuff. I know on a previous um, podcast, we talked with the Oakland chief and he said you have more of a probationary style event um, after you get promoted, but he felt that it wasn't being um, necessarily followed. And so you're not getting a good mentorship opportunity. And I think if you do it more on the front end um, to start with, then you can guarantee you at least have the minimum qualifications to be in the seat and then um, hopefully develop a, a mentorship program afterwards for those newly promoted people. I, I think the mentorship thing is huge. We do have a officer's preparation academy a couple times a month that people can log on. Uh, I think depending on who's teaching that class is important because like we talked about that respect thing early on, you look at who's teaching the subject and what they have done in their history in the fire service and you kind of already know how helpful or beneficial that's going to be. So we do have something, some of it I didn't find super helpful in being successful as to the role of a lieutenant, right, you know, in the front seat. It's Some of it's good information to know, but I haven't found anything that's been extremely helpful or resources on like target solutions of like, this is how you fill out an injury packet. You know, or somebody, this is how you go through the CAD and pull up current incidents. Um, I do tell a lot of folks, Google Maps on our phones is better than the Google Maps on M the MDT. Because you'll be driving for 30 seconds and the little arrow will still show you the firehouse. So I've, you know, that was something where I was like, uh, I don't know if left or right because it shows us still at the firehouse. So that was like a quick learning thing where you're like, oh my God, I need to do better at that. So, and I even had asked the training chief if something with our new 10 new promoted lieutenants, everybody should have mentors or previous officers. They feel like they can reach out to, but I don't know. And your guys' thoughts would be appreciated if there was a list that came out of almost like field training officers. Hey, these are people in the battalions that would welcome phone calls or text messages for administrative help or, you know, documentation help for when you're on the truck for your first time, you need to do the fire report. And the response I got was, yeah, that's a good idea, but they should have officers that they've had in the past that they could reach out to. And it's like, if they don't already know that information, they worked with those officers, they, they may not have gotten it. Yeah. I like that idea. I think what kind of what we're talking about, I mean, the, we do have a mentorship program and I worked with a captain uh, right before I got uh, promoted and went back out into the stations, I worked in the EMS section down at the administration offices. And so we had a plan every day. We sat down uh, to brush me up a little bit. I mean, even though I was down at the administrative offices, I still did training. Uh, it's still important to make sure I do my training just as everybody else does. And so that way, when I do go back out, I am, you know, they, they know I can do my job too. And um, so we sat down, we met, but we didn't have like a formal officer training. And I think those are so important because that's too, where you can set the expectation and all that consistency for all the officers. So everyone knows how to do that injury report and you don't get one thing from somebody and one thing from somebody else. And, um, so 
but yeah, I agree. I mean, I've got people I talk to in the fire prevention bureau when I, when I need a, a question answered and that type of thing, but those formal officer trainings are just so important and, you know, every organization should have them. I would like to comment on that if I can. Um, listen, we're talking about promotional processes and things of that nature. I know in my, my current organization, um, this is one of the first times, uh, the, well, the formal process that we had and currently, this is some of the first times that they had assessment centers. So what I've done, I brought in an outside expert that teaches assessment center from every rank. So breaking it down from just uh, employee uh, counseling and you know your technical scenarios and things of that nature, and it was well received because sometimes you hearing it from an outside expert and professional, they're able to hear it and it transforms a little little bit more, you know, completely uh, than having someone always internal. Uh, the internal processes are for the technical things, like Nicole mentioned, you know. Uh, how you work, operate with the CAD and, and your reporting and things of that nature. When we're talking about promotional, sometimes having those experts uh, come in from uh, externally and uh, does help. And guess who that expert was? It was Battalion Chief Lisa Baker. And when I tell you she was well received here uh, in my organization, uh, they reached out to her and she broke it down uh, for them and sent them feedback. It was well received. And it takes chiefs like... Um... Lieutenant uh, Chief Clemens to do something like that. Like Nicole, when I was back 20 years ago, they talked about having officer development and it was always the cost factor. And they'd bring us in on shift every third shift to do something. And it would last about two weeks and then it would fizzle out for whatever reason. Um, and it's kind of sad that 20 years later, we're still talking about not only in, in that organization, but other organizations where people are just handed a badge and it's like, good luck, here you go. And I mean, it, it's kind of a disservice to the individual. I mean, because think about it, if you go on a, your first call and it's a horrific experience, think if you were first due to a large warehouse where a lot of people died and you're first, first due there. And it's like the scrutiny that you're going to face under that from everyone in your organization and every everywhere else. So we're kind of doing disservices to our members, our communities, um, by not really having officer developments. And I mean, you could Google officer development in 2009 or eight in the National Fire Academy. I wrote officer development plan for the Oakland Fire Department. And you could Google officer development plans and it's there's a maraud of them. And for some reason, it's just, I don't know if it's just they people don't think it's important or you, it's like learn on the job. And going to that, like when they do job analysis for a promotional exam, they ask, there's like 100 to 200 question here that they give to your incumbents that have been in that position for three to five years and ask you a series of questions. And do you need to know this the minute you walk in the door or is it something you could learn on the job? And you would think in 2023 that organizations after these job analysis, they're done by outside agencies a lot of times, but they're shared with the, the company or the department that's hired this company to develop their test. So they know what their own organization feels they should know when they walk in the door and what they should know prior to walking in the door. So it's kind of interesting that across the nation, we're still talking about, I mean, you go to any conference and they're still talking the same things they're talking about. And one of them is officer development. And so Heidi, you mentioned that we have chiefs that listen. Um, 
maybe the chiefs need to start when they do hire these consulting firms to develop these tests is look at these job analysis that your incumbents have filled out and what they're saying they needed to know prior to being a lieutenant. And did they really actually get that prior to being a lieutenant? I think it would cause a lot of, um, or help with a lot of issues that some departments have. It's usually not the fires that are getting people in trouble. It's the personnel issues that get departments in trouble. And I think we could all could attest to that. I mean, a fire, somebody's usually probably going to be within a few seconds or minutes after you. And either if you're not doing command very well, going to assume or the command. So a personnel issue, you're probably in the fire station by yourself dealing with something and we know how it could spill out of control quickly. So many off, many company officers think that having that new badge gives you the respect. But just because you have a badge doesn't mean you have the respect of your crew. How as a new company officer can you gain the respect of the crew? And kind of like we talked about, I mean, you earn that respect uh, once you walk in the door your very first day, but it also takes time when you're in this position. Uh, you you got to listen. You got to engage with your crew, and that's the biggest thing. You got to make sure you get to know them. Uh, what do they do outside of work? That type of thing. You know, we do that a lot at our morning meetings when we have coffee, uh, when we talk about our day, what's going to happen, and that's when we sit down and have a joke, share a laugh and, and get to know people that way. But, but you have to get to know people that respect takes time. Um, and you got to be patient too. be patient with them and they'll be patient with you. And so, so. sorry, I'm trying to log in on my computer too. So okay. I'm trying to it's okay. get a better, better um, signal, but I completely agree with you, Lieutenant. Um, it takes a while to get to know people. Um, what I have found to be successful is um, to make sure that you know what your expectations of your crew are and, and make sure that you can can let them know. Um, I have a basic set of expectations that I, that I start with right away. Um, and then I ask for their expectations of me as an officer. Um, and then I typically, after a few weeks of getting to know my crew, I let them know this in advance. I'll go over more detailed expectations. Um, but, you know, it's not too hard to, uh, I'm kind of a rule follower um, and I'm representing my district. So it, it's not real hard to, <laughs> to, um, to figure out what my expectations are. Um, but I think you have to just be really transparent with that um, and then take them Take that time, like you said, to um, get to know your people um, and build those. You know, they say that transition from buddy to boss is the most difficult. But in my mind, if you're if you're consistent, if you if you're staying consistent, you know, uh, Heidi said that she's a rule follower. Well, those rules have to be followed across the board. Can't bend it from one and allow the other one a little leeway. So it's simple to me. It's just being consistent, transparent fair and equitable. Simple. Totally agree. Yeah, I think once you start not I agree with that. fair and consistent is when you lose the respect. If you let one person slide doing something and then the other person you try to hold accountable, that's where you lose the respect. Laura, did you have something to add? No, I agree with all of that. Okay. It's setting the expectations and being consistent and fair 
and equal. I agree. So when when you give your expectations, does everybody get the same expectations? I know we're going to sit down with our crew and give our expectations about, you know, being on time and uniforms and, and, and that such. But do you have the same expectations with someone who has 24 years on the job? Let's say as you would with a probationary probationary firefighter, meaning like the senior firefighter or the person with 25, 24 years in would might have diff, a little bit different expectations, such as you expect them to mentor the probationary firefighter or guide the probationary firefighter. So once you do your crew expectations, are you going to sit down with, if you have such a wide gap of a crew, would you sit down with each member and, and also go over different expectations such as that or... I do my expectations in front of everybody for each position. I think it's really important to create that level of transparency um, and, and to make sure that everybody understands what's expected of them and who they can go to. Um, because if you do have that senior, typically in my situation would be a senior engineer or a senior firefighter. And, you know, my expectations for them is definitely going to be different than our newer people. And I expect, um, you know, leadership uh, from them as well. And so the, the firefighter needs to hear that because they no, need to know who they can go to safely. Um, but I think by, by letting everybody know on their own or on, uh, as a group, what the expectations of their indi- are as a crew and then as individually just creates that trust between um, the, the crew. And it gives the opportunity, you know, while you're having that cup of coffee to have questions um, you know, and, and I don't understand this expectation or I've never been expected to do that before. So I'm going to need some help, some coaching. Um, it creates a com- conversation and some camaraderie and opportunities for growth for everybody on the crew. Um, yeah, and I think we probably have often heard that some firefighters will, re- they're going to respect the position, but they don't really respect the person, if that makes sense. So if you don't respect your personnel, they're never going to respect you. So if you go in with like a hard hammer and this is how it's going to be, and I expect you to do this, this, and this with no open feedback, I think you could lose a lot of respect. And I know um, we kind Absolutely. of talked a little bit about um, the new company officer. And so um, sometimes when people get promoted, they're they're younger than the members on their crew. So the members on the crew have more experience than the company officer. I mean, has anyone had that experience and ran into any issues with like you're going to a crew and you have eight years in the department, let's say, in the crew, you got a member that has 20 years in the department and it's kind of considered the informal leader and such. Has anybody ever ran into that experience and how did they handle it? I've run into that. I uh, worked at a double house with a bunch of older gentlemen that have been there for a long time. And well, I just made it clear that, you know, I'm here to make all of us, you know, facilitate all of us doing a good job. There's things you see or need. Let me know. I'm not going to challenge your experience. You know, um, I'm in the front seat and going to make sure we're all safe and we work efficiently. And I think they get it. And like we spoke earlier in this Zoom, you know, the respect we earned coming up the ranks, they kind of know me. I'm very consistent. As Chief Serrata told me one time, yes, six man. years on, she said, you do exactly the same stuff you did on probation because I'm a creature of habit. So yes, I think people is. see that where I 
kind of got hung up and had to have a battalion chief stop by because I don't know that I'm mature enough yet with patience to handle a situation with somebody that was older than me, but has less time in than me, but hmm. wanted to challenge me on my expectations. So I, I had run into that problem before, uh, but the more senior folks doesn't really, I haven't had too much yeah. trouble with them yet. And that's the way I figured you would handle it. It's like, you have to, and that, that kind of goes into with our next question, our next question, but you have to realize that they do have more experience than you and kind of there will be times when you may need to lean on them. And I could attest to the fact that Nicole is very consistent. It's like, you know what Nicole is doing every minute. Um, so we often hear, know your crew strengths and weaknesses, but how as a new company officer do you, do you go about doing this? I mean, it's like we kind of talked about reputation procedure and such. So you might have been like cross town and you've heard stuff about, you know, this member, but you've really never worked with them. So you really not, you don't know if what you're hearing is true or not. I mean, something could happen 15 miles across the city and 10 minutes, three minutes later, it's, you know, all over the city, but you don't really know because you weren't there. So how do you go about knowing your own without listening to hearsay or rumor, so to speak? Do you know, how do you, how do you get to know your, your own personnel's strength and weaknesses? I, I sure. say just, I'm sorry, Nicole. Go ahead, I, Chief. Go ahead. All right, no worries. I'd say just, you know, what we spoke about earlier, you know, just staying consistent. Um, Heidi mentioned just uh, establishing your expectations with everyone. I think that is the precursor to how you're going to kind of observe your team. Uh, also, you have to reflect on your own strengths and weaknesses because just because you're an officer, that doesn't mean you uh, know everything. Uh, you have to lean on your team, and that's going to come with time and observation. And at this at this current, I'm sorry, at this climate, uh, you know, we talk about inclusion and belonging. All of that encompass the conversations and the communications that you're going to sit with your crews and have. That's how you're going to develop the strength, uh, identifying those strengths and weaknesses, and then, you know, conform your team. It's about balance. I agree. I personally think that you need to make sure that you recognize that you also may come with some, um, some preconceived judgment. And so, um, it's okay. You know, like, Hey, I, you guys have probably heard things about me too. Um, our goal is my goal as an officer has always been to make all of us the best we can be. So I can't, I, I know I'm not perfect. And if anybody here is perfect, please teach me. Um, but let's fix, you know, let's talk about what our strengths and weaknesses are and let's go from there. Um, and, and really just create that team dynamic and, I think that that's, it, it doesn't matter if you have a ton of, of um, you know, if you've got somebody that's got a reputation with some weaknesses, it's your job to then bring that person back around. So, and typically as a new officer, you will get stuck or you will get assigned people that are more challenging. So working hard to um, to let them know that they're on your team now and you're there to bring them back to their greatness. <laughs> I've, I've had a conversation uh, downtown 
I've been fortunate enough. My driver and I are classmates. Uh, the paramedic followed me to this firehouse. We worked uh, on the East end together for a couple of years. So he already knows how I was, how I was, how I am as a, all right. Yeah. How I was as a driver, kind of my attention to detail. I work hard. I follow through with everything. So my expectations as an officer are exactly the same. So when he came over to my firehouse, he knew what he was getting. Uh, the firefighter that just showed up. Uh, and like you said, we all have reputations. I have a reputation, good, bad, indifferent, but everybody knows I'm going to work hard and follow through. Uh, I gave everybody a fair shake. Um, everything that I've heard to be true has come true um, to the point that I spoke with before I went to a battalion chief for guidance. Um, I spoke with a fellow officer and with my crew initially when there was starting to be some problems with basic things like housework and why it needs to get done. And we're here for two days. Why do I have to do it both days? I said, you know, my reputation's up here, whether that's good or bad. And you guys are kind of down here. One struggled on probation and is kind of coming up. The other one has kind of been down here for a long time. I said, my goal is to bring you guys up and I want to assist you and facilitate you. If you don't have a routine, I can help you with that. I said, but my goal is that when you go to other firehouses, that reputation you had before will be like, oh, she's been, they've been working with McCall. Like maybe they're up here. And I've kind of struggled to get that through or like keeping that standard of like, I want to help you guys. And my other officer, who's also brand new, we promoted together. He was kind of like, nah, if they're, if they suck, they suck. That just is who they are. And I struggled with that. But now I'm to the point with one of them where it's like, okay, maybe, maybe they just suck. You know, like I, I don't know how to fix it or how to help everything that's kind of, you know, happened in the past where other officers called and warned me, Hey, heads up, you got this coming at you. You know, it's, it's dealing with those things that other officers couldn't deal with. And now it's on my plate and I'm bought a book called radical candor to read on how to be, you know, make myself better to, to address situations in a more tactful way. So I still struggle with that and I'm working with that. And I do have an open sort of thing with my crew. I'll jam them up on things but they jam me up when they get the chance. And and I think that's important to kind of have that. But Nicole, just so you know, sometimes people don't want to be fixed. So it's not, you're probably doing everything you could do. And the person just doesn't want to be fixed because they're in, they figure they could do the bare minimum and get that money and do, I mean, what they're doing. Yeah. Now. just But it creates tension among the crew because it's yeah, we, my medic now doesn't want to be involved. And my engineer is kind of like, well, I'm disengaged. I don't want to even interact but when that person's not there, it's, we, we jive real well. And it, it's, yeah, I get it. So we often hear members say something like, I'm going to promote for more money or so they don't have to take orders from others. Do you as a company officer see an issue with this? I mean, I had one time some guy came and told me he wanted to promote because he didn't want to clean the bathrooms anymore. So, I mean, do we have, do, I'm not exaggerating at all. Uh <laughs> I mean, is there an issue? I mean, so I think we did a show once and we asked, um, you know, asked the first question when someone comes to you want to help to want to promote, you often hear, oh, I want to change things. And that's like the cookie cutter answer. It's like, well, I want to promote to change things. And then you ask, well, what do you want to change? And they look at you like a deer in the headlights because they just heard that that's a great answer. Like if you ask them what their leadership style is, it's like I lead by example because that's a cookie cutter answer. So is there a problem? Like, so Nicole, I'm gonna go to you because I, I know 
you're really good at this. So if someone was to come to you and say, hey, Nicole, I studied last time for the lieutenant's test and everybody thought I was going to be number one and such, and I didn't even pass. So what do I need to do to promote? What would you do? Or what would your answer be? Not what would you do? I know what you would do. You take them under your wing and help them. It depends if it was on the written or the assessment center. They're two very different things. I can't yeah. really help them with the written. I be- <laughs> no. But the assessment center, we can work on that, you know. Or if I can't help them, give them, fish them off to people that can help them. So do you think it's a problem, and this is to anybody, that people really don't know why they want to promote? They just, like I said, somebody said to me they didn't want to clean the toilets anymore and they wanted their own room. Another one said they wanted their own room. And that was their whole goal of promoting to the next level. So do you think that sometimes people promote not really understanding or knowing what the full function of a job is? And that's why sometimes we have issues. They get their their book smart so they can pass a written test. And then somehow they get through an assessment center. And then now they're a company officer and they become a liability in some regards. So is, is do we feel that that's a problem that people promote without knowing? I mean, we can't stop people from promoting, obviously. No, but Lisa, I think that people that know why they, yeah, I, I would, you know, like Nicole, I take this person under my wing, but the first thing they have to do is figure out why they want to promote. Um, you know, even because I don't think that people who, who want to promote because of the bathroom or, or whatever, obviously they're not a woman in the fire service because we still got to clean up. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, it wasn't. It actually wasn't. <laughs> um, but I think that it's like they don't understand, Lisa, like you said, they don't understand the true purpose of the job. And so, and they may not be willing to go initially and do some homework to really figure that out, but it's going to take a tough conversation. And and I think that women are really good at delivering those tough conversations with people about what the expectations of the officer is in your department. And yes, there may be slackers in your department who don't meet the expectations, but the current, the current job is that we will meet the expectations. That is what our chiefs want us to do. And Latasha, I know chief, you will attest to that, that you may have people that don't meet it and you kind of have to wait out the time because it's not, it's not so egregious that you can let them go or demote them, but, but you, you want people to be better. So you have to set that up, set them up for success. And this is what the job looks like and paint a really good picture. And are you sure you're ready to take that? Because it's will not be accepted anymore in most organizations to just go in and, and be the, the lazy lieutenant. Um, so, and, it, and it's also our obligation to, to try and prevent people from doing that. You know, um, it doesn't serve any of our people. And so that's just, yeah, kind of my rant on that. Cause it drives me crazy. Yeah. And it's like, I think, go ahead, Laura. No, I was just going to add to that. You know, people want to be told what to do. <laughs> you know, I've, I've learned that they want you to tell them what to do. They want you to tell you, tell them what's going on throughout the day. So, yeah, I mean, that laziness is, and it shows and how they deal with things um, when you have a lazy officer and how they handle situations and we just got to hold people accountable. And I think that's one of the biggest problems in some organizations. There is a lack of accountability. 
Um, I agree, Lisa. And we see that. And then some people see that and think I'm going to fall into that category. And like um, Lieutenant McCall was talking about her, the difficult person that she's, she's dealing with, you know, the conversation of what is it that you, that why can't you comply with this? And sometimes and, and you'll read that when you'll read the radical candor, I do a feedback thing, um, Nicole. So um, sometimes it has to do with you and the way you're presenting it to that person, right? Um, that doesn't give them the excuse or defend their attitude because that's still not okay. But you have to give them the opportunity to tell you, you know, why, why can't you meet the basic minimums of this department? And, and what can I do? To, to help you to, you know, to, to get us there because we're a team. Now that person may very well say you can get me there by not being my boss and not talking to me. It's like, well, then I can do that too, because if that's what you want, then that's what we'll do. We'll go to the battalion chief, but I don't know that that's what we want to do. Is there a way that we can work together a way that we can figure out how to communicate for the good? I mean, what are we here for? Right? So um, it, it's, but for as a, yeah, that, that, that just, that drives me crazy when there's people that are allowed to continue to work in our organizations that aren't held accountable for their repeated actions. Cause you're obviously not the first officer that they've treated like this. Um, and you may be the one who y- you can't live your career saying, I don't want to be the one that takes this guy down. Well, he took himself down. And if he's not willing to comply to the expectations of the department, and unfortunately, as a new officer, oftentimes you are dealt with that holding those kind of troubled children um, accountable. And and then they either shape up or retire. So, Heidi, you, you, you just said it. You know, uh, it's all about accountability. It's all about being intentional. It's all about consistency. You're a new officer. It's consistency. It's sitting down with everybody, going over your expectations. It's being consistent. It's holding everybody accountable. That consistency turns into micromanaging. Well, at times, yes, depending well, how it's there's a balance. Well, there is a balance. Right. Well, it depends on how it's articulated. And when I mean consistency, just staying true to who you are. You know, you're not micromanaging by telling someone, hey, this is how you um, change a, or, or, or throw a, a hose roll. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the overall expectations of you as an officer going over the roles and responsibilities. And also, you know, uh, I think this question was posed around folks that want to promote and those that don't and those that promote for the wrong reasons. Well, are you promoting because of the career matrix based on you're going to get a 5% increase? Or, you know, are you really trying to professionally professionally develop? I think, too, we have... Sorry. No, you're good. You're good, Nicole. We we do have people that promote now, too, because they know our fire chief goes straight down a list. So you'll have people that haven't had the best history in the fire service or have done things. And then they make the list knowing if I make that list, I'm going to get a job. And we've seen that. And those people go slower stations and kind of hide. And then on mandos and recalls when they make it in the companies, you're like, yeah. And, and that's a good point you just made, Nicole. Um, and we could debate that on a whole nother show, but just because someone's able to pass a written test, like I said, you could be the most book smart person in the world, read a book and like be a check, check chief, check off the boxes, you know, the fire is going good. Cause I checked this box and I checked that box and I checked this box. And, 
but really don't have any control over anything. And then um, we don't really understand how they got into that position. And it's like, or like in the past, when a list or everybody knew somebody, a promotional list was going to come out or a promotional test was coming out, everybody was running around trying to get involved with this and get involved with that because prior chiefs wanted you to be involved with something. What have you done to the, what are you doing in the department? What are you doing in the community stuff? So you had people begging to go do this and begging to go do that. And the list came out and they either made the list or they didn't make the list. And okay, I'm on the list now. I don't need to do that anymore kind of thing. Right. So there's pluses and minuses to both things, but just because you could pass a test, I mean, we all have our good and bad days, and and I'll be the first to tell you, assessment centers, even though they're fair and consistent, a lot of it's depending on who's grading you as well. I mean, I hate to say that. I mean, you know, and, and I probably shouldn't, but some panels are, you know, you're, you've got a criteria you're meeting, but some are going to grade higher, even though the criteria is there. And so it's... um. Some people are going to get fortunate. I mean, I know I worked with an individual that was a lieutenant and was the almost the death of me. Everything would be to call and ask me how to do something. And it's like we have policies and procedures for that. We have rules and regs for that. And um, it's like, how did you ever pass an assessment center? And so it's like, just because you get on a list, I kind of, I mean, a lot of cities have a rule of five where they interview the five people like you used to. And I mean, I guess there's pluses and minuses of going right down a list, but I think there's more minuses in my opinion. And that's just my personal opinion, just because, and especially if the written test is weighed, you know, 50% and the assessment centers weighed 50% or whatever the weight is going to be, you could sit and memorize stuff out of books and stuff and, and be like, I've mentioned three or four times now, book smart, but are you able to apply the material that you have up here? into practical situations like interpersonal skills and, you know, problem solving and treating people fairly and making sure that you don't just handpick people to do things. That's a fair and consistent process that we're having for someone to be, you know, on that committee or this committee or whatever. And I think that's where a lot of departments run into problems is just because they're on a list, they promote them. And I mean, it could be in their city charter or, or whatever, but I think that that's where, um, issues arise that people are just taking the test. Like you mentioned, they know they're going to get promoted if they're on that list. So, um, so oftentimes we hear the company officer is so, the so-called designated adult on the crew. And by that, I mean, kind of like if somebody is saying an inappropriate comment and you let it slide even one time. So if you let an inappropriate comment or um, slide just once, your crew's going to begin to mirror your actions and words, especially if you're like dogging administration or the fire chief or another company that you go on calls with or something. So as a company officer, what advice would you give to a newly promoted company officer about being the designated adult, so to speak? I mean, I, I'll speak on it. So I know when I first got promoted to lieutenant, um, I was pretty fortunate. I went to a station. The people were, um, I came in with a few of them. So there was really no issues. I went to another station as a captain and they had Cinemax on, which I think we all know at midnight becomes something else Don't it, um, with very inappropriate shows on it. And so I turned on the TV one night and I was like, do we have porn on this, on this 
on in here now with it, you know? And it's like, I asked the other shift and they're like, oh no, the other shift. And I, so we took it off. I was the house captain. We took it off and they went and turned it back on. And so it's like, okay, that didn't work. So I'm like that at midnight or whatever time it becomes, whatever, it's still Cinemax, but it becomes very inappropriate TV that shouldn't be on in a fire station probably. So I had to have the difficult conversation with the individual, but it was kind of like, well, we've always had it. No one else ever complained. And I'm like, well, I can't control what other people did. I can, can just control what we're going to do moving forward. And moving forward, we're not going to have that on the TV because it's inappropriate. It's on the verge of porn. And let's say that somebody was to knock on the door or something and you're watching it and they come into the fire station and they see this. What Then what, you know, I tried to use that rationale. And they were they mad? Yeah. But I mean, I didn't really care at that point. But I just didn't like the fact that when it was said that, well, it's been on there for a long time and no one seemed to care. And so famous words in the fire service, Lisa, right? We've always done that. That's all we've always done. That's the most dangerous thing. And fortunately, yes, you are the designated adult and you have to make unpopular decisions. And, um, you know, the big thing here for a newer officer is that your decisions aren't based on necessarily just your um, your morals and your ethics, but are, de- are department driven. So you typically do have some policy or some guideline um, that is set that you can, that can back you up. Um, and even if they say, well, so-and-so doesn't follow that. It's like, you know, that's unfortunate. Again, I- I'm a rule follower and, you know, there's definitely guidelines are a different thing. There's times where we're going to go outside of those, but policies and procedures when it comes to um, those types of, you know, activities in the firehouse are, it, it's forbidden and it's not going to happen. And if it is, unfortunately, I will have to write you up. And it, it's not, you know, it's like, I don't want to be a jerk about it. But, but at the same time, it's like, hey, and, and you don't have to be a jerk. You can promote, you, it, you, it turns on, you, you, hey guys, we're not watching this. Sorry, turn it off. And, and then walk away. Don't make a big thing about it. If it continues to happen, you may have to sit down with one individual. You may have to sit down with the whole crew. But the bottom line is that if you can set your expectations and and just let them know, I, I'm not going to tolerate it, any of that. So you now you know. So if that's what's been allowed in the past, I'm sorry. It's not. Mom's here. <laughs> you know, in, in today's climate, we can no longer sit down and, and continue the conversation of, you know, what's been done in the past. This is a different climate. We have to be intentional with our, uh, again, with our expectations. You know, I don't do good natured humor for that reason. You don't know my trigger. You know, you don't know what's going to offend or insult someone that's on your crew. Well, yeah, I was just joking. How did it make that other person feel? This is where inclusion and belonging comes into play. This is about expectations and being intentional. Yeah. It's, it's, From, you're going to step in it. You are going to step in it. You're going to make the mistake and own it because you're going to set the example. Wait a minute. That was way wrong. Own it. Well, and I fit both of those when the battalion chief came to talk about uh, the the personnel issues, 
you brought up a comment that was made and it was like, okay, before we go any further, I think we can all agree. We sometimes walk that fine line of joking seriousness, but you know, right on that line, I said, and the comments were made based off comments you made, which all in all were not appropriate probably for any of us to make. So going forward, we're not going to be able to joke in that fashion because, you know, obviously it's been taken out of context. But to the other point, my biggest hurdle is people smoking cigars in the firehouse. Well, we get to do it on the A shift. Okay, well, this is the B shift. Why are you smoking in that bay? That's still the firehouse. Go do it outside. You know, th this isn't our building. This isn't our home. Well, our fire chief has smoked cigars in the firehouse. Okay, well, you're not the fire chief. We'll go somewhere else. Go outside. You know, and they'll smoke outside and it'll still smell a little bit in the house, but I have to just accept that I got them outside. They're now outside smoking cigars. You know, but then you'll come in and it'll smell like it in the kitchen and you're like, not my shift, not my shift. Yeah, it's um, it's sad to some degree that in 2023, we're still having conversations on inappropriate comments and inappropriate things that happen. in. I mean, you could Google fire engineering or any major fire publication and see that things are still happening, that inappropriate things are still happening, inappropriate. Um, and that's like I mentioned earlier, it's not the fires that are getting the new officers in trouble. It's the personnel issues that are getting members in trouble more than the fires. Because like I said, generally on a fire, somebody's going to show up fairly quickly after you're there. So if it's gone south while you're there in charge. There's going to be someone right behind you to pick up the slack and fix it in a personnel issue, you're probably going to be the only person there. Um, and we're almost out of time, but real quick, um, I know women for some reason don't seem like they're promoting as much in the fire service anymore. The last few assessment centers I've done, I've seen zero candidates. Um, I just did one for a very large metropolitan city for fire captain and they had three female candidates. Um, is it what, and we could probably do a whole nother show on why this is occurring. But I think um, as females in the fire service, I think that we need to instill in the other females. I mean, obviously everyone's not cut out to be a company officer, whether you're male or female, but there's, there has to be some underlining reason why females aren't taking promotional exams. And I would just like to. Well, I think there's not as many of them. That's true. There's not as many of us. That's very, very I know some of the ones in my department are happy being firefighters. They don't want the roles or to face the criticism or have to work 10 times harder to gain the respect okay. or the authority of people, you know. Um, and then some are drivers. I love driving. I miss driving, you know. But I think there's just not a whole lot of us yet to be able to flood the testing grounds. And I think so, you just hit it on the head, Nicole, about the scrutiny and the criticism, like I said, everybody's going to be turning on the radio and you could do the same thing that someone, a, a guy did and what you did is probably not correct, but what they did is correct. So I think a lot of it is the scrutiny and the criticism. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of it is, you know, culturally driven. What is the culture of your organization? You know, why are they settling back and not wanting to promote, you know, it's all about culture. And the few that we have, if we were building a strong foundation culturally, then they would be more excited to, you know, probably want to promote through the ladder. So what's the culture? Yeah. But Ashley, you are, you're dead on. I mean, you're like speak my speak. <laughs> and the, it's 
you know, that feeling of belonging, if you don't have that feeling of belonging and you're not part of the culture, why would you want to go and be a leader in that? You know, so it, it, it's the same thing with recruitment. We want to recruit. We want to recruit. Well, why don't we work on retention? Because why would somebody, how can you re- recruit somebody to an organization that has poor retention, that doesn't promote women, has no women in leadership? So we, we need to work on what's going on internally, at least alongside of the rest of it. But you, you can't expect women to, to step up when they don't feel like they're even part of the team. Chief Baker, you said, I'm sorry, Heidi. Chief Baker, you said that we can do a whole nother show on this. We could, and then we're good because we're almost out of time. And we we should, because again, you know, a lot of us, when we get into organizations as women, we start to assimilate based on the culture, based on the culture. So what is the culture? Is the culture a healthy culture that's, you know, intentionally being inclusive somebody's got to go and so go against the waves and start it of course go ahead yeah. Nicole. Yeah. that'll be go our ahead, next Nicole. show that'll no, be that's august. it that'll oh, okay be, okay that'll be august's show because we're out of time now so thank you for each guest for being a part of the radio show i had four excellent panel members that sh- um, shared their individual experiences and i really appreciate that Um, Thank you to Fire Engineering again. Thank you to all the listeners and members of Women in Fire. Uh, Remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and check out our website, womeninfire.org.